Welcome to the Hop Take. Today is Saturday, March 2nd. I am Peter Thomas. And I'm Jim Scanlon. And on this episode, we will talk about the college admissions landscape for Hopkinton students, a year in which the select board agreed on almost everything, a new option for folks that love pickleball, and we say goodbye to a good friend. But first, our main story this week is that Select Board Chair Muriel Kramer took Police Chief Joseph Bennett to task in his mid-year performance review, culminating her remarks with a call for an independent investigation of the Chief's actions. On their agenda this week, the Select Board added a mid-year performance review for Hopkinton Chief of Police Joseph Bennett. This is part of the chief's contract, and typically the select board evaluates the town manager, fire chief, and police chief at the same time. But because town manager Norman Kamala was on his way out and the fire chief is brand new, it just made sense to focus on Chief Bennett only. What no one was expecting were the fireworks that erupted between board members and the damning portrait of Bennett's leadership offered by select board chair Muriel Kramer. Let's have a listen to a few of Kramer's remarks. Um, so, Chief, um, I don't, I take zero pleasure in this, um, but I have had concerns that I have articulated um, since um, as far back as November of 2022. The concerns really are about your ability to execute as a leader and as the chief. Over the last uh, year and a half, um, there has been no lieutenant since October of 2021. Uh, for a long time, you couldn't have a deputy in there, um, but, but since May of 2023, we could have seen that. Um, candidly, we do not on the board have good, um, good line of sight into how we're doing. We know what you tell us when you come, come before us, but we don't really know how we're doing. You said at the time, I can't be the only one who knows something, nor the deputy, nor the lieutenant. Um, I don't have the structure to support the work that needs to be done. So um, that's, that's, still, that's still the case. Um, you at that time reported that you would put forward sergeants. You were all set. The tests had been done. The interviews had been done. Your evaluation had been done. And you would have sergeants in front of us by February of 2023. I know that I held that process up when they came before us the first time in September. Um, but September was a long way uh, past February of 2023. You also said at that time that you would have a lieutenant um, by May of 2023. I regularly revisit this, con this particular concept and no progress has been made. At the time of the contract, you were asked to procure an independent review of your department in part to identify needs and strengths as well as develop succession planning strategies. We hoped it would help us provide necessary supports. We asked about it in July, there had been no progress. In October, we asked about it again, and you said at the time that you had reviewed a scope and services and spoken to a couple of vendors, but we have not seen any progress. In January, when I spoke with you and John Moore, a former police chief that we brought in in July to provide executive level supports, John was asked to deliver in Q1, quarter one, January, February, and March, um, and there's been no progress to date. And in fact, um, until this week, um, my repeated emails for statuses 
have gone unanswered. In August and September, <clears throat> Norman and myself and the attorneys were made aware that your sergeants had all signed a letter expressing concern or no confidence or something in between and, and sent it to you signed by all of your sergeants in the April timeframe. You were asked to produce the letter at that time, but we have not seen it. This is the hard one. In January, improper disclosures of protected information have apparently led to an investigation by a DA of the incident and of you. <clears throat> At a minimum, the chief ought to be, uh, and we ought to consider, paid administrative leave while the investigation plays out with the DA and we complete our own independent investigation of the inappropriate release of information. So, uh, in my opinion, we have to right this ship. Now, Jimmy, for weeks, you and others have been calling for the board to take some action on Chief Bennett. What do you make about how that went down? And, and let me just say, wow. Wow is right. I mean, wow is, uh, there's just so much that comes to mind. There's so much to talk about. It was certainly a display of fireworks that no one expected. I mean, did you see the look on Bennett's face? He was stunned, surprised. So. He, he knew it, it, it looked like he'd swallowed a lemon in that yeah. moment. I think in that moment, for me, for sure, and maybe for him as well, you could see uh, he realized he had been playing checkers this whole time and Muriel has been playing chess. It was very clear. But you know, a couple things just come to mind off the top of my head, like what took so long, really, first. I applaud what Muriel did. She obviously did her homework. Uh, it was well overdue, and it makes you wonder why something like this wasn't, or at least something said right after the Loudermill hearing. Like Clearly, there was a gross potential gross violation of the law. Someone on the board, presumably Muriel, should have said immediately, hang on, what's going on? We need to get someone in here and conduct an independent investigation to wait six weeks later to drop the bomb or the fireworks or whatever it is, you might want to call it, seems a little strange, a little unusual. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about performance reviews. All right, so Jimmy, you you manage people. You've, you've managed yeah. people for a long time. Long time. You've done performance reviews. You have, you've had performance reviews done to you, I'm assuming, you know, like, yes. been, you know, been mm -hmm. by a boss. And you've also done many of them. And you have prepared for those of course coming in right either yeah. way you prepare either whether you're getting one or where you're given one a lot of preparation the idea of showing up to a performance review and then hearing bad news from your boss that's that that shouldn't happen but you should not walk into a performance review and be surprised by your boss that you're not doing a good job true that means there's no communication so you know i guess i look at it and say like what preparation did he do what preparation did the other board members do? Because we'll get, and we'll get to that. I yeah. mean, Muriel, she obviously was very well prepared, but the other board members were shocked by what she said. It was very obvious. It was just like uh, two people watching different ball games, to so to speak. I mean, Muriel clearly had done her homework, was well prepared, and um, it seemed like the other board members, uh, per usual, were just sitting there taking it all in. I mean, Mary Jo was pissed. She, she, as soon as Muriel finished, Muriel said, well, that's what I came here to say. And as soon, soon as she did that, Mary Jo uncrossed her arms and said something like, well, I would have really liked like to have known all of this as we went along. And it just seems like you have taken the reins and just gone off all on your own on this subject. And we know, I know nothing. And therefore, I 
do not agree with you. Yeah, and it was just really great to see Muriel kind of put her in her place a bit. I mean, finally. I mean, how many times is Mary Jo going to say she was blissfully unaware of what was going on? In fact, I, I, what world is she living in? I've, I've got a new nickname for her. I, her last name is La Fenere. Yeah, her new nickname is Mary Jo La La Land, because I think that's where she lives. Muriel just clapped back. She immediately came back and said, hey, I've gone back and looked at the tapes. You've been in all the same meetings that I've been in. So for you to not know, she's kind of saying, like, how do you not know this? No, she was doing her job as a, as a board chair. Uh, I was very pleased to see the way Muriel ran that meeting, the way she conducted the meeting. She obviously, finally, we saw some leadership. But why six weeks later? Was she gearing all this up over these many weeks? Was she was she hoping for less of a visceral reaction? Well, from well the maybe. Town? But let's talk about the political blowback here. Muriel is running for governor's council. That's right. Muriel has said she is not running again for select board, which would be in May. Her term would expire. So she's actively campaigning in a contested race for governor's council. Does she need this headache right now? No, of course not. I mean, this is kind of why I'm talking about it. What, you know, what's going on behind the scenes? There's some politics here for sure. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, Muriel is playing chess. Everyone else, particularly Bennett, playing checkers. You know, you could just look at what's happened, right? What took so long after the chief revealed the personal identifying information of the, of the victim? She should have called for an investigation immediately. Waiting six weeks to drop that hammer doesn't seem, that seems a little odd. She got what's often referred to as the chairman's pass. I mean, she knew the sheep were going to vote to get rid of Brennan. She she voted last, I believe, and and voted in his favor, a meaningless vote. He was already gone. Um, and now the governor's council, right? She's got, she's out collecting signatures. She's, she's an aspiring politician. She does not need this type of headache. Yeah, and, and to go back a little bit to Mary Jo's concern about, I wish you'd told me all this, I mean, that's a bit of a banana statement because if Muriel had circulated this information or her thoughts, that's a violation of open meeting laws. I mean, she can have one conversation with another board member, but the moment that that board member has another conversation with another board member about the same topic, it becomes a serial conversation. And that is a violation of Massachusetts open meeting law standards. So, and, and everybody knows this. If you hold elected office in this town, you are required to go through open meeting law training. That's just how it is. So everyone knows what the open meeting laws are. So the idea that she would have shared all this information beforehand is absurd. Well, it just seems to me that Mary Jo Lalaland sits there and doesn't pay attention. Not sure what's going on. We've seen it now multiple times in just a few short weeks that I've actually been paying attention, like a lot of other residents. Uh, once again, just underscores dramatically a lack of competence, specifically with Mary Jo. And of course, we've talked about competence issue across the board. But I will say I was just pleased that Muriel finally brought to light some of these really significant issues with the chief leadership. Um, you know, we could talk about Bennett for a second, too, by the way. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, where, do, where does the chief go from this? Well, I mean, where, where does he go from here? I mean, he was, uh, it was just, so. it was almost poetic just to see the look on his face. Right? First of all, he started his, his performance review with his list of accomplishments, which were modest at least he said well we got a social media team now i know i mean that i mean was... that leading with that was i was i mean i couldn't i was shocked that that's the where irony he started. of it was just bewildering can you say 
F-bombs on a show like this, Peter? Sure, so, I mean, say whatever you have. We, we just mark it as explicit in Spotify. Okay. I mean, and then, yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's a family show. I don't yeah. know. Nah, but yeah. In my opinion, Chief Bennett doesn't give a fuck about Hopkinton right now. And he hasn't. He's been checked out for quite some time. I'm not saying he didn't at one point. I'm sure he did early in his career when he was running around uh, with his, literally with his partner in crime. Uh, but in the last year or so, he's got his eye on the prize, which is getting his 80% pension in June. He's got a, a flock of sheep on the board following his every move, seemingly feeling un- untouched or invincible. And why not settle some personal scores on the way out like he did to Brennan? I think he felt like he had... Nothing, you know, he could do whatever he wanted. He was untouchable. And it was really clear uh, on Tuesday night that things are going to change very quickly for him. Now, th- does that mean he still doesn't get the prize in June and get to get his 80% pension? I don't know. Uh, probably shouldn't. Definitely shouldn't. But that will leave that to an investigative body and and the board and, and, and we'll let the process unfold. But uh, things did not end as rosy as I'm sure Chief Bennett expected it would in his, yeah, I think for his career. I think he's trying to trying to slide out of here, you yeah, know, for in the sure. last few, yeah. the twilight of his career. Right. And, and all of a sudden, all he's got he cares about is headache. that pension. That's all. The only thing he's been thinking about for the last two years is getting that pension and getting the hell out of here. And, you know, feeling invincible. Why not settle some personal vendettas along the way before he leaves? Hey, Jimmy, you want to talk about some good news for a change? Yes, please. Come on. Well, this is an exciting time of year for many students as the college acceptance letters start rolling in for the kids that applied early decision or early action. But for some families, they're still considering their options, and there are so many factors to take into account. Now, we were curious about where Hopkinton kids ended up going to college. So last week, we published an analysis of data that showed the colleges that our kids apply to most the ones that they're accepted at, the ones they ultimately enroll at, and the ones that defer or deny them. It turns out that there are many excellent colleges that take a disproportionate number of Hopkinton kids, far more than they accept in general, which basically means a Hopkinton kid has a better chance of getting into that school than any other kid. But on the other hand, there are some schools that Despite receiving a large number of Hopkinton applicants, almost never take our kids. Bastards. So, Jimmy, let's let's run through some of the numbers together. All right. Well, here are the top five schools that offer the best chance for a Hopkinton student to be accepted. Connecticut College. Nationally, they accept only 40% of applicants, but they accept 86% of our kids. Clark University here in Worcester normally takes just about 40, 48% of the students, but actually, when it comes to Hopkinton's Kids, they take a whopping 81%. University of Alabama, roll tide. A Hopkinton student has a 9 in 10 chance of being accepted there, whereas typically Alabama accepts just about 59% of its applicants. Northeastern, another local school, great, great university. Uh, This is a popular one for Hopkinton kids as well. Their acceptance rate is somewhere between 7 and 20% annually, but they accept almost 50% of students from our town. And finally, Wheaton College, another great school. They have accepted every Hopkinton student that has applied since 2019. Yeah, 100%. Wheaton College. If, if you apply to Wheaton College from Hopkinton, they will take you. At least that's what it shows. Um, I really thought it was interesting to see where the Hopkinton kids applied, but then where they actually enrolled. Um, and, and I want to go through how that happens. So for, for those of you that haven't had a kid go to school or you haven't 
uh, had a kid go to school for a while. Um, there's this thing called the common application and the common application, it basically allows a kid to fill out the form once um, and put all kind of their name and their address information and their parents' information and stuff like that. But then they can apply to multiple colleges with the click of a button. So on average, kids that use the common app apply to between five and eight colleges in the US. Um, but obviously they can only go to one. So the top five colleges that our students apply to are UMass Amherst, Northeastern, University of Connecticut, Boston University, and University of New Hampshire. So local schools kind of makes sense. But when you look at the ones that they actually enroll at, meaning they get accepted and they choose to enroll, University of Pennsylvania, that is 100% of the Hopkinton students that were accepted chose to enroll. <laughs> you would expect that, right? I mean, I mean they're smart right, kids. Yeah. If you don't go to UPenn, you're, you're pretty dumb. Follow up with University of Chicago. Exactly. So also a great school. 100% yeah. of the kids that were uh, that were accepted to that also enrolled. And Dartmouth as well. But Bowdoin College in Maine. A little surprise. A little there. surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's cold up there. It is. 78% of the kids that were accepted to that one enrolled. It's a big number. That's the only one. I mean, the, the next one is Brown. Another Ivy. Another Ivy. I'm I mean, actually, I'm surprised it was only 75%. Yeah, 75%. I guess some of those kids probably got into UPenn. Well, yeah, UPenn or they Harvard or whatever, because yeah. if they applied to Brown, they probably applied to yeah. you know somewhere else too. So, um, Jimmy, let's talk about the schools that reject our kids. Well, it's, I say re reject. It's either deferred, meaning yep. we're not accepting you at this moment, or they were just denied outright. All right, there's a few. Northwestern. 59 of our kids have applied, and they denied and deferred all but two of them. Brown, as we just mentioned, uh, they reject uh, a whopping 97% of the kids from Hopkinton that apply. Another, Ivy Dartmouth rejecting 95%. Harvard, with 81 applicants from Hopkinton, uh, just four acceptances. And UPenn, another very, really high rejection rate at 95%. Peter, any surprises in this data, you think? Well, I mean, it's not uncommon uh that the the that a lot of the ivies rejected yeah. it but but i think what does surprise me a little bit is is that a lot of folks move to hopkinton because their kids are getting what is kind of known as a private school education in a public school setting yes right i mean the kids that come out of hopkinton are ridiculously smart they're great um and and, and a so, shout out again to our teachers and our administration love those guys I mean, 100 this is a great great school district 100 percent. and that doesn't happen without people voting for schools and i know that's something that we've talked about and it's a lot of money and we're going to talk oh about it gosh, a little bit yeah. on the pod here yeah but the fact is <laughs> you can't argue the product in the end these kids are going to some great schools all right okay. and they're doing great things um it doesn't surprise me that a school like Northwestern, okay, out in out in Illinois, yep. is gonna is gonna reject Hopkinton students. It does surprise me a little bit that Harvard is so tight with Hopkinton students because these kids, you know, these kids are coming out very well prepared for that level of academic rigor. So that one is a bit shocking to me. The other thing that I thought was interesting in this data is where kids apply versus where they actually end up going. So obviously, most of them apply to a New England school. Okay, that makes sense. A lot of them want to stay home. So if you take New England as a region and set it aside, the second most popular place to apply for a school is the Mid-Atlantic region, which is New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. But that's not where they end up going. I know. The second most popular place for them to go is the South Atlantic, which is Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. And I have a theory on that, by the way. What do you make of that? Well, I think a lot of these kids are applying locally 
probably to some degree uh, making their parents happy, right? I know my son just went off to college. I was delighted that he was within a couple hours drive. I think a lot of kids and their parents, the idea of them being close and God forbid something happened, all that good stuff. So there's probably a lot of that going on. But when the time comes to make the decision, it's a lot easier for these kids to say, it's it's cold up here, man. I'm done. I'm tired of shoveling yeah, snow. Let's go. I'm, let's go somewhere nice. Let's go somewhere warm. So, Jimmy, this seems like a good time to mention some of the kids from town that are going off to these great schools. I'm, we're not going to be able to cover them all. Of course. Okay. Yeah. But I want to point out, as as many of our listeners know, I also do the color commentary for the girls varsity soccer on HCAM. So I know a lot of the girls uh, that are on the soccer team. I just want to point out a couple of our stars here. Georgie Clark going off to Boston College. Brooke Burtwistle, another soccer star, going off to Brown. Juliana Gronsos going to Connecticut College. We talked about that. Uh, Steph Johnson, captain, going to Boston College. And finally, Emily Scaff going to Dartmouth for astrophysics. Whoa. She's wicked smart, that Yeah, girl. wow, great. I love it. And, you know, a couple other shout-outs. Jack Ionelli going off to Boston College. Go Eagles. Good for him. And and also noticed uh, Ben Stefanov. Going to the United States Marine Corps. Yeah, Way to go. That's him. super impressive. So, yeah, lots of uh, lots of college acceptances. We've got a running list going on Hop News um, right now. You can you can always check that out, the class of 2024 college commitments. Hats off to these kids. They are on their way, and they're just doing something great. So our next story is one that I really don't want to cover that much. Uh, but I'm I'm going to point it out because it's a story that that we wrote uh, last week, and it's really about a policy issue at Hopkinton PD. Um, and the headline was, "Why does sexual assault of a minor not require immediate notification for HPD?" Yeah. So in 2018, then Hopkinton Police Lieutenant John J. Porter authored and issued General Order. 2018-004, entitled Mandatory Notifications. And the policy reads, basically, that if any of the following types of incidents occur, the police chief and the deputy p- police chief need to be notified immediately on their mobile phones. And it includes the mobile phone number of the police chief and the deputy chief. Um, and at that time, he was a lieutenant. And so it said, essentially, Chief Ed Lee and then Lieutenant Bennett Lieutenant Porter. It then was modified in 2020 to recognize the promotion of Bennett to chief and Porter to deputy chief. So that's the only change. Um, this came up because in the in the Kroll report, I noticed that they had accused Brennan of violating this general order. And so, of course, I wanted to see what how this general yeah. order read. So I requested it through Freedom of Information Act, and I finally got it from um, Hopkinton PD. Um, and I noticed that that sexual assault of a minor is not in this um, list of identified incidents. I mean, other things that are arguably not as important as that, yeah, let's just say, say the least. are in there. Like you got to call them for you got to call them for rape. You got to call them for uh, suicide. You got to call them for things like that. That kind of makes sense. But sexual assault of a minor child is kind of a big deal. And it wasn't in there. And I for the life of me, cannot understand why that wouldn't be important enough to make an immediate report. 
You know, Peter, I saw that story. It was uh, sh- shocking and maybe not so shocking. Well, first, you know, we're good buddies. You know, I'm a big fan of Hop News, but what terrific reporting to dig that out. I mean, nobody really would have ever thought to put those pieces of the puzzle together. The guy who stands accused of these heinous crimes was the one responsible for writing the policy. And you have to just assume he intentionally chose to leave that critically important allegation out of the policy. It's it's sickening, really. Uh, and, you know, on another note, this guy is a bad guy. Uh, in my personal opinion, a big piece of shit. I'm sick of the airtime that he's been given. He's going down. Uh, I've just assumed move on, move on, but great report. And what, I mean, it's just sad. And, uh, and it's just, you know, how did that even get approved? Where was Bennett in that process or the then chief at the time? Uh, so this is just another failure of leadership at the police department. Yeah. You don't want to talk about it anymore and neither do I quite honestly, but I just, I don't know. It was perplexing. To it was me. awful. Our next story, let's agree to agree. (laughs) The Hopkins Select Board met 28 times in 2023. Either independently or in a joint session with boards and other committees, they voted a total of 227 times, and in 221 instances, the motion under consideration passed unanimously. Notably, the board disagreed just six times last year, resulting in a split decision. Shocker. Of the six disagreements, only two of them were actually consequential. One was a two to three split on bringing the regional emergency communication system to town. That's the wreck. You guys remember that one. That would have seen our local fire and police dispatchers fired and then moved to a central system with other towns. That failed. Now, the second vote was a three to two split on suspending the Upper Charles Trails Committee per the wishes of annual town meeting voters. The committee was suspended, although it was just temporary, and the committee, they haven't met since. They've been reinstated, but haven't met since, and now Irfan Nazrula seems to be trying to change their charter by fiat. Nonetheless, it is highly unusual to have so many people agreeing so much of the time. In fact, former board chair Brendan Tedstone wrote Hop News to say that in his time on the board, he couldn't remember a single meeting where they all agreed on everything in front of them. He expressed concern over an unbalanced board and stressed that a diversity of thought and opinion leads to a better outcome for all. Jimmy, what do you make of this one? Well, this is really not news if you've been paying attention. I mean, the board is a flock of sheep. They don't seem to do much homework research at all. It's rubber stamping. They're all in in agreement on just about everything. Five to zero, 97% of the time. I mean- Five to zero. It is- it goes back to what we've been saying over the last several weeks about this lack of leadership. There's, there's incompetence here. There's people that are just not really have the skill set to sit on this board. And maybe they were well-intentioned when they started, but there's a reason why you have five people on a board. You've got to have differing opinions. You need dissent. You need rigorous investigation. You need, you need, to, you need to do the work. And just to kind of hit that rubber stamp time and time again, 200 some odd times is just laughable. Yeah. And these decisions have consequences. I mean, let's let's talk about a few of the bigger ones. $158 million Elmwood School was endorsed by this board. Um, they are the ones managing clean water projects like the PFAS remediation. Real they big, important ones, topics. Yeah. yeah. Managing the Main Street project. 
Most importantly, or I should say most recently, they're the ones that decided the Tim Brennan matter. Another disaster. Tell me, though, Jimmy, you were talking about this before the pod. Tell me about the Fairfield Arena for a minute. Well, I just want to talk about school budgets. It's yeah. something that we talked about on the last episode where we talked about the Hopkins edition. It's about a $49 million addition to the Hopkins That's school. Right. Now, you were telling me about Fairfield. So what's going on? Well, you know, first, you know, if you remember last edition of the Hop Take, I was really outspoken about the total spend on this edition. Having grown up in a family that's in the construction business, I just thought the numbers were astronomical. The 158 million seemed ridiculously high and I'm aware what these things generally cost. And so I'm just shocked that more people aren't outspoken or at least asking why does it have to be so much? And so fast forward last week, I'm down at Fairfield. My son's a freshman there. A lot of people know that. Uh, They just built this beautiful arena, brand new, a year or so old. And my son happened to tell me, oh, dad, you know, they built that for $50 million. I almost crashed the car. So, so, so 85,000 square feet. Yeah, so we did a little work, of course. Okay, we yeah, did the homework. Of, of course, when I heard this, I was like, okay, let's dig in. The arena, the Leo D. Mahoney Arena is 85,000 square feet, seats 3,500 people. It's a multi-use space. State right, of the art. Right in the middle of Fairfield University's campus. So it costs $51 million, and it was funded by donors. So when you take... $51 million, and you divide it by 85,000 square feet, you get about $600 a square foot. All and right? it's a beautiful facility, state-of-the-art. It's awesome. I've been in there a couple of times. It's really cool. Now, the Hopkins edition is proposed at 28,000 square feet, so about a third third of the size, all right, for $49 million, which puts it at $1,750 a square foot. Three times the cost. So I, you know, as... Big of a fan as I am. We're huge fans of the school. Okay. I, how can you build a university uh, a university arena, which you know has to be earthquake-proof and, you know, all the same requirements, yep. ADA and OSHA and all the same requirements that a school is going to have, and it costs three times as much. I don't – three times as much for a third of the space. Yeah. I mean, it just tells me once again that there's – there's so much backdoor dealing going on here. Uh, I don't want to say outright fraud, but there is so much. God only knows the the side deals, the kickbacks. There, there's something going on, and it should be stopped and reviewed. And it, 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 we need more transparency. You can't spend $1,800 per foot on a building when we just saw something at another school, in a school area, at 600 bucks a foot. Jimmy, do you play pickleball? I wish I could say I do, but I don't. Okay, but do you know anybody that plays pickleball? I know a lot of people that play. Okay. Uh, have they ever told you, have they ever said, hey, Jimmy, I'm playing pickleball and I can just get a court anytime I would like? No, it, it, it's a tough ticket to get from what I hear. Well, that is because pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America for three years in a row. Uh, and I've got good news for you. Uh, open play pickleball and padel is coming to Hopkinton. Padel? Padel. Yeah, uh, it is a, it is, I say it's a new sport. It's not a new sport. It's a sport that a ton of people play, just not in this country. I'm going to get to that. Uh, Yev Galper, he was born in Bulgaria, but he's been in, in America for 25, 30 years. He's a nationally ranked pickleball player and also a coach. And he's building open play pickleball and padel 
and he plans to open in the fall of 2024. And it's going to be located on East Main Street, right across from Legacy Farms. The club will feature both indoor and outdoor courts. Indoor is is really important, obviously, because then you can play year-round. And it's going to welcome players of all ages and abilities. So as we were talking about, it's really tough to get court time. In fact, across this country, Lifetime Fitness has converted some of their basketball courts into professional-grade pickleball courts, and they've seen a massive increase in membership with a lot of people just joining just to play pickleball. So what are your thoughts on just seeing a new business come to town and pickleball and the whole bit, Jimmy? Well, that was the first thing that came to mind, like a new business into town, exciting. Uh, pickleball is hot. I mean, Tom Brady, I think, owns an interest in a league or something like that. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, I I guess I'm going to start playing pickleball. And by the way, you know, I'm a, you know, some of my Hopkins friends know this. I'm a single guy and I've heard it's a terrific place to meet people. So uh, bring it. I'm ready to come play so pickleball. really, is your interest just to meet a, a fit lady at pickleball? Is that why you're going to start playing? Yes. <laughs> so, so... <laughs> So Padel, he's also doing Padel. All right, this tell me a about that. Sport. Okay, Padel is a, is it's it's not really new. I mean, there's forty thousand Padel courts worldwide, but most of them are in Europe. So Padel is it's not it's growing in in the United States. There's what two hundred to three hundred Padel courts in the total of the country, but it's huge. Uh, like I said, in Europe and other parts of the world, it is a little like pickleball and that it's played with a paddle, but it has walls. So if you think like racquetball or squash, you know, it, it, it introduces an element of physics uh, to the game. It's really cool. It's spelled P-A-D-E-L. You can YouTube this and watch people play. It's crazy. So it, it's like pickleball inside a racquetball court? It is. That's right. A little bit. You can bounce the ball off of the ground, off of the wall. It's usually played with doubles. Yeah. Um, so it's a very social sport as well. Um, but there's a lot of folks that even live in our area that are that are so excited about this because they haven't been able to play padel like they did when they lived in you know Spain yeah, or wherever else it is. And, be cool. and they're finally going to be a place for them to play. So we're we're very excited about it. Um, last thing is he's building uh, he's building the facility in a way that is modular, so he can move the courts around. So he's going to build a few courts. Figure out how people like it. Do they want more pickleball? Do they want more padel? And then he's going to be able to adjust it as the needs of the audience. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, uh, it's super, super excited. Smart, I, wish right? him, I wish him the very best. I think it's going to be a home run in this town. I just wanted to take a quick minute to note the passing of a friend of the pod, Carol Hurley. Many people in town knew Carol as a tenacious real estate agent and also the mother of Carrie Hurley White, who owns Sunnyside Gardens. Carol was an active member of our community for more than three decades, ultimately retiring down the Cape. Carol was born in Holyoke, Mass. in 1946, and as a teenager, she met her future husband, Jack, while they were both lifeguards at a local swimming pool. They courted and eventually married, but then Jack was shipped out to Vietnam Upon his return, the couple started building their life in Bellingham before moving to Hopkinton in search of a bigger house to accommodate their growing family. Carol had many passions routed in her artistic and nurturing abilities. She was an avid gardener, animal lover, and accomplished cook. But family was always first for her, and she never missed a moment to celebrate her grandchildren. Even living down on the Cape, she was a fixture on the sidelines of Hopkinton games that her granddaughters Cassie and Veronica played in. Personally, I was very saddened to hear of Ms. Hurley's passing. She was a one of a kind, and you always knew where you stood with her. Carol, you were loved by many, and you will be missed.
Jimmy, little history. You know, I know you love the history. It's my favorite part of the show. I know it is. So I think, though, we need to level with our listeners a little bit, give them a little peek behind the scenes here at the pod. We actually record this at a little studio at Faith Community Church, which is right off of 135 here in Hopkinton. Now, one of the core tenets of Faith Church is to give generously. And speaking as a member of the church, I can attest to the generosity of the congregation. But what a lot of people don't know is that Faith Church is celebrating its 300th year. Wow. That's right. This church has been in Hopkinton for 300 years. That's longer than we have been a country. So a few episodes ago, we covered how Hopkinton became a town. It was originally land held in trust by Harvard, and they sold it to tenant farmers that occupied it. And the way this worked was essentially a sum of money was left to the Harvard Trust by Edward Hopkins. He was a wealthy English merchant and a former governor of Connecticut. And he left it with the express purpose of, quote, upholding and promoting the kingdom of Jesus Christ in those parts on earth. So this took effect upon the death of his wife, Anne, in 1698. And then in 1715, the trustees finally figured it out and they purchased the land that is now Hopkinton with that money. Yeah, and the first meeting of the church took place in 1722, where a small number of inhabitants voted to levy a tax of just one half penny per acre of land upon themselves for the purposes of recruiting and paying a minister. And they agreed that they would meet at the house of one of the early residents, John Howe. Now, Howe's house stood about 1,200 feet towards the high school up from the corner of Maine and, and what is Hayden Road today. And the members of this first church, these eight families, were essentially a town itself in 1724. The first pastor was a man named Samuel Barrett Jr., who was appointed in 1724 and was paid 35 pounds sterling and a year's supply of cut and carded firewood. All right, that's a big deal. That I is a big deal, because, right? because think about it. There was no roads back then, so they would, they would the church would cut his trees down and cut it into firewood and cart it to his house. Yeah, because if you leave was, it in the woods, that's, that doesn't, that's going to be tough to that's, get it out of there. That's part of his compensation plan. Yeah, that the, I mean, better than a 401k back then. Uh, so the parishioners also agreed to set aside 30 pounds sterling to help Reverend Barrett build his house, and they gave him 100 acres to do so. So the church meeting house was built in 1725. They called it a meeting house, okay, which okay. is interesting because if you look at the seal of Hopkinton, it's the Price Mansion meeting house. All right. So that was like the first place they met because, again, as you mentioned, the church kind of was the town. Yeah. And they built this in 1725. They agreed that three guys are going to build it, Samuel Walken, Samuel Cummins, and John Bowker. Yes, that is the same Bowker. Many of our listeners know that there are Bowkers still living in town. In fact, C.J. Bowker, he works for American Climbers. Good dude. Yeah, really good dude. So the small building was built across from the town common, ultimately to be replaced by a grander structure. That later burned. And we should definitely do a story on the fires that raged through Hopkinton in the 1800s because, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of them. Um, it was replaced again, and then that time they topped it with a steeple. And at some point, a hurricane knocked the steeple down, and they rebuilt it. So a whole bunch of history of that particular building. But today... We drive by it and we see it as the Korean Presbyterian Church, but that building was the first Congregational Church of Hopkinton, or FCCH, now Faith Community Church of Hopkinton. So in a future episode, we're going to have our friend and lead pastor of Faith Community Church, Mike Lawrence, on to talk about the church and how they plan to celebrate 300 years in Hopkinton. Um, and of course, this is the 100th year of the marathon starting in Hopkinton, That's right. not 
the marathon. Yeah, I think the marathon had 120 some odd years. 124, I think, but it started in Ashland, right? But then it was moved back to Hopkinton. So with the 300 and the 100, there's a great tie in there. And I think the church is going to do something really cool. So it's a great time. All right. Well, that is uh, bringing us to the end here, Jimmy. Uh, Thanks so much, listeners, for for tuning in with us to the pod. We always love to hear your feedback, and, and we really appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, we'll see you around town. Thank you. 